we begin sort of our Christmas series, as we take a pause from our tradition of going verse by verse, word by word through the Word of God, and we'll be leaving 1 Samuel for a month, but we will be back. As today we talk, and we've entitled our Christmas series, It's a Wonderful Life. Today, we start our series based on, well, the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. It is really probably my favorite Christmas story. I love the character George Bailey. I see so much and I relate to so many things about George Bailey in that movie. But it is really not a movie about a man. I would like to challenge your perception. When you watch that or you've seen it, it's not a movie about one man named George Bailey and his quest to get out of Bedford Falls. It is really a movie about a family. It's a movie about his wife. It's about his kids and the impact his decisions will make on their lives. If you're taking notes today, I want to start with this thought. Geared primarily towards men today, but ladies, it's good for you today. One person's decision can alter generations of a family. One person can make a decision that will be a positive. I told somebody this week, and we were talking, and I talked about how much I distaste alcohol and just hate what it does to families and destroys them. Because I come from a long line of Irish drunks. But my grandfather walked into Highland Park Free Will Baptist Church in the 50s and heard the gospel and was saved, and he never touched a drop after that. My father was raised in a sober home. My boys are raised in sober homes. And I tell my son that repeatedly. I expect my grandbabies to be raised in a sober home. Because one person made a decision to accept Christ. It changed generations. But you also know, oh, you know the other side, that one person makes a decision. And some of you here today, it's very sensitive and it's very touching on your heart. Because as I speak of that, you're thinking of parents, you're thinking of grandparents who made a decision, and you're still dealing with the effects of those decisions. You see, at the end of the movie, George Bailey makes a decision. He makes a decision that he knows will send him to jail, but he does it because it's best for his family. I will take this burden, I will go to prison, but I'm going to do this for my family. George Bailey loves his wife. And like all good men, it takes him a little time to realize how much. Women are not the easiest thing to understand. Every man who's not afraid, say amen. Yeah, every man who's coward, be quiet. Women are not the easiest thing to understand. My favorite book in my library is this book right here. This book is entitled Everything Men Know About Women by Dr. Alan Francis, America's foremost psychiatrist. When you open the book, it's completely blank. There are many times I take that book out and go, oh, but next to my Bible, that's the truest book I have there. But here's one thing I believe, and ladies, feel free to correct me after service. One thing I believe about women, I think every woman wants to know they are special. That they are special specifically to the men that are in their lives. I want to start today, and we'll start each service in this series with a clip from the movie. This clip is about almost two minutes long, but it's basically George Bailey promises the moon to the woman he's going to marry. And you know what? She takes it. Let's play this. And then I'm going to build things. I'm going to build airfields. I'm going to build skyscrapers a hundred stories high. I'm going to build bridges a mile long. Well, you going to throw a rock? Hey, that's pretty good. What'd you wish, Mary? 
Buffalo gals, can't you come out tonight? Can't you come out tonight? Can't you come out tonight? Buffalo gals, can't you come out tonight? Dance by the light of the moon. What do you wish when you threw that rock? Oh, no. Come on, tell me. If I told you, might not come true. What is it you want, Barry? What do you want? You you want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. Hey, that's a pretty good idea. I'll give you the moon, Mary. I'll take it. Then what? Well, then you could swallow it. And it all dissolves, see? And the moonbeams that shoot out of your fingers and your toes and the ends of your hair. Am I talking too much? Yes! Why don't you kiss her instead of talking at her death? How's that? Why don't you kiss her instead of talking at her death? Want me to kiss her, huh? Oh, you just wasted on the wrong people. Donna Reed, maybe the most beautiful lady to ever be in film. I'll give you the moon. You know, it's really not amazing that she accepts it. I know women. You know what's amazing? What's amazing that he offers to do something he could never possibly achieve. Gentlemen, I want your heart today. Your wife and your family want something other than the moon from you. And you can actually achieve it today. In Matthew chapter 1, we meet a family. It's the beginning of a family. It's the first family. It's Jesus' family. And like every good family, there's an amazing man. And the amazing man we meet offers the moon to a woman. And his name is Joseph. Now, I want to give a warning as we go through this, as we go through anything, as we study God's word, we need to stick to what the Bible says. Amen. There are so many traditions and thoughts about Mary and Joseph. Uh, some of them come from a very dangerous position. Some of them are very innocent. Some believe that Joseph was much older than Mary. That could possibly be true. It seems that he died during Jesus' public ministry. We don't see him anywhere. But the Bible doesn't say that. Some have even falsely said, stated that Joseph was a widower. And he had a 12-year-old daughter and possibly other children. Uh, that theory usually comes from people who try to keep Mary as a perpetual virgin to explain why Jesus had other brothers and sisters. But let me restate that again. The Bible does not say that. The Bible does say that Jesus had brothers and sisters, half-brothers and sisters. Our study today, we will stick with the Word of God. So in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, let's see what the Bible says. Now the birth of Jesus was unwise. When his mother, Mary, was a spouse to Joseph, before they came together, he was, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. I want to talk for a little bit about that term, espoused. First of all, I want to erase a thought out of your mind. A spouse does not mean engaged. That is not another way of our term of engagement, right, where you have a fiancé and everything. Isn't it interesting how close fiancé and finance sound alike? But anyways, that is not... Joseph and Mary right here are legally married. What has not happened, they have not, and I'm, I'm going to talk, I think, on an adult level, okay? So I hope you understand what I'm hinting at as I talk about. What has not happened is they, has not, they have not consummated the marriage. The term espoused is where we get our word spouse. And in the Greek, it means betrothed. So what does it mean? Well, Let's jump into a little first century Jewish culture for a moment here. 
in the Old Testament, and by the way, Jesus was an Old Testament Jew. He ministered in the Old Testament. I know at Matthew 1.1 it says New Testament right there. The New Testament starts at the cross of Jesus Christ. But in the Old Testament, there were two stages of marriage. And because, one, I'm not going to put on airs and pretend that I can pronounce all these Hebrew words. Those are the two words right there, okay? It, it, kedushin, that's the best as I can get. And the other one, it's supposed to be hapha. Uh, the C-H is actually silent and everything. I wish everybody spoke American. But anyways, there were two stages to an Old Testament, first century Jewish marriage that took place. The first stage, the Kedusha, is the betrothal period. It's the betrothal period. Deuteronomy 27, 20 verse 7, gives a reference to it. If you'd like to put notes in your Bible. And there was a man and his betrothed wife was not taken of her. It was during this time period where they would kind of wait each other out and learn a few things about each other. It was also during this time period, Greg, it was a contract. It was a legally binding contract. Just like when you signed your, your uh, marriage license, those of you that are married, you were legally married at that moment. It was a legal contract that they would do. Next, it was normally a period of 12 months. Now, sometimes it would be six, but it was usually a period of 12 months and also, it was a period of protection. Now see, for the would-be husband and wife, this time period of 12 months would prove their fidelity. It would be a time period where they could say basically like this, we didn't have to get married. I know some people, and uh, my mom was kind of in that case where she got married, my mom and dad got married, and then uh, my sister was like 10 months later. And my mom was very nervous about that because she didn't want anybody to think that she had done something or had to get married. You see, this betrothal period was like, you are legally married. Now for a year, you're going to prove your character. You're going to prove your fidelity. And after that year has gone by, no one will be able to say, I heard they had to get married, right? Because, listen, I've been in this long enough. I've been at the this, you know, the 12-pound preemies, right? Uh, oh, he's a preemie. Well, that's the biggest preemie I ever saw. I've been in this long enough, but that's okay. If anybody was going to be unfaithful, if there was going to be problems in the marriage, this would be a time period where they would start to work that out. The last part is called the more, and it was a payment. Maybe think of this as a dowry. Now, please, ladies, this is not sort of the uh, dark ages period of dowry where women, you know, marriage used to be this barbaric event where weddings, we would trade women for cattle and property. And over the course of hundreds of years, it's gotten much worse. But <laughs> that's a joke. Anyways, this payment was not a dowry like we think. It was basically an insurance policy. This man would give his, the wife of his bride a large amount of money. And if he died, she would get to live on that. If he tried to back out of the wedding, oh, fine, you don't want to marry my daughter, but I'm keeping this big chunk of money. It also kind of ensured that since Wives were expensive. You would treat them like they're supposed to be, like valuable property. Amen? It also ensured that you would not have two of them because nobody could afford two wives. I don't understand these people who get multiple wives and think this. That means you have multiple mother-in-laws. <clears throat> Anyways. But it was an insurance policy to take care of the lady in case she backed out, in case she died 20, 30 years into the marriage or so. The second part, this is the part that we sort of focus on, the chuppah. It's the wedding itself. This is the time period when the wedding and the marriage would be consummated. 
they would have sort of a, a seven-day festival and a party. Go to John chapter 2. Jesus' first miracle was at a wedding. If you think of Jesus talking about the bridegroom coming for the bride, it would come at night. He would come with a group and he would go to her house and they would get her and then they would go to this common area and they would have this party and they would have this celebration and then they would leave and go and basically what we would call their honeymoon. That is when the, the marriage act would be finalized. But you see, Joseph and Mary are in this time period between one and two. They are legally bound. They are legally married to each other, but they have not consummated it. So it is, this is why this is a big deal when Mary says, I'm pregnant. This was earth shattering in between us because Joseph is like, it's not me. So when we come into verse 19, this is what's going on. This is a big deal to Joseph. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make a public example, was mind minded to not to put her away privately or privately. The Joseph has two options. Here's just because they are legally married. There's two options. Number one, he can make a, her a public example. They would bring her into a public court. It would be open. Everyone in the town would be there. They would invite them. It would be a big deal. She would be accused of committing adultery. They would say, there's a baby growing inside of you. So she would be shamed. Her family would be shamed. She would be basically brought to trial. She would be convicted in front of everybody. Her reputation would be ruined. Or he had another option. His second option, to quietly divorce her. That phrase right there, literally, it literally means in the New Testament to put her away it's the New Testament word for divorce. The two parties would get together. If you'd like a cross-reference, put down Deuteronomy 22, verses 13 and 21. Deuteronomy 22, 13 and 21. The two parties would come together before two or three witnesses, and they would privately write out their bill of divorcement. There would be no ju judge procedure. There would be no public knowledge of it. Nobody would ever know. And this is the one Joseph chose. There's a lesson here, and I need to emphasize this, and I want to make sure I do this with the right heart. I hope you, I hope you can heal my heart as I talked about this, because I know I'm going to touch some raw nerves in this room. But here's the lesson that you can take away from this. God places a high priority in physical intimacy. Um, we're all adults. You know what I'm talking about. You see, it was physical intimacy was what the final completion that God viewed of the marriage. And if you know your Bible, if you know the New Testament, it is the physical completion intimacy that is the only reason for two believers to breaking the marriage. Jesus himself will teach this. Paul will teach it in 1 Corinthians. Little time out. Okay. Let's clarify something. Every person in this room has not done this issue perfect. Every person. You could be some little innocent thing that you did in 10th grade. You kissed that boy that your mom told you to stay away from, right? You went to that dance with him, right? You could be a streetwalker, the woman at the well. You could be a man in here who had a long history in his past. Every person. Take a second and look around and look. Look around. Do it. Look around, everybody. You are looking at people. No one in this room has this answer perfect. 
So what do you do? You just give up? You follow the, the, the world changes? You live with your, you know, before you get married, you do things like that? This is what you do. You repent. You come to God with a repentful heart and say, you know what, I made mistakes in the past. And from this day forward, do it right. Pastor, I've got a hope. I don't need to know. You don't need to tell me. You tell God, repentful heart, I've made mistakes. From this day forward, do it right. Every now and then when I teach on this, someone will come to me and say, you know, I guess I shouldn't have divorced my first wife. I guess I didn't. What should I do? Well, you're married now, right? Yes. Love the person you're married to now. And from this day forward, make sure that this is your till death do us part. Amen? Everybody in here is messed up to some degree or another, right? Everyone say amen. To some degree or another. Even my mother, who, who had nine children and still to this day is a virgin, but at least in my mind, uh, my mother talks about she kissed a boy when she was in sixth grade at a school dance. And she said, oh, I wish, and she's going to be mad that that's going over the Internet. And she said, oh, I kissed that boy, and I don't know why I did that. Everybody has something in their life that they say, I wish I did that better. Okay. From this day forward, all of us, let's get it right with God. And today, let's do it God's way. Whether it's marriage, whether it's physical intimacy, whatever it is, let's do it God's way. Amen? Great thing about Jesus, he always forgives and gives another chance. Joseph, Joseph does not want to shame her. Maybe you see that and you think, oh, he's going to divorce her. That doesn't sound right. No, no. He's doing the most compassionate thing he can think of. He thinks this woman he loves has been with another man. I think he genuinely cares and loves her. And I think this moment right here is literally Joseph's I'll give you the moon moment. Maybe, we'll have to get to heaven to find out. I'm going to speculate. Maybe he has a plan to send her away to another town. And then maybe Joseph in a few weeks or so just disappears and quietly goes back and finds her in that other town. Maybe that's his plan. I don't know. We'll have to find out in heaven to know what it is. But sir, sir, it is your responsibility to give your wife and your family the moon. Make a decision today to put Jesus first, your family second. When you put Jesus first, your family will automatically fall in line. Make a decision to lift that lady up that you have said I do to. Protect her from the world. Protect her from sin. Protect her from bad decisions. You promised I will be with you till death do us part. For forsaking all others. Sir, no matter what's happened yesterday, I don't care where you were at tonight. You're here this morning. Make a decision to give your bride the moon. We don't know why Joseph did this. We don't even know what Joseph's past is, but I think we could say this, what Joseph knew about Mary. Joseph knew this about Mary. He knew the quality of her character. He knew the standard by which she lived. And he knew her stature before God. And Joseph knew Mary. And in the middle of all this chaos, this is really cool. If you read this, you might skip it. In the middle of all this chaos, a young girl who's just told her husband, legal husband, I'm married, and it appears he does not believe her. 
It appears he's having problems with this. His heart is breaking. Maybe he is an old man and this is his first time at love. Maybe he and Mary grew up knowing each other and they had this little connection like, and, and they just were, can't wait till they got married. Either way, the woman he legally married has told him this. His heart is breaking. In the midst of all this chaos, God steps in. In verse 20, And by while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream. Listen, I believe in angels, amen? Be very careful, though, of people who tell you about having angels visit them. Please remember that the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 2 through 6, will talk about his experience of dying and going to heaven. And when he comes back, he says, these are things I can't reveal and I really should not talk about. I believe in angels. I believe angels. We've entertained angels unaware. But be very careful of people who try to take angels and what they do and make it as equal and on par with the word of God. If you have an experience, I would suggest you follow Paul's suit. Keep it to yourself. In verse 20, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary, thy wife, for that which is conceived in her of the Holy Ghost, and she shall bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. By the way, the Bible is very clear. The Bible never names Joseph as the father of Jesus. As an example, in Matthew chapter 2, in the next chapter, verse 13, they will say to him, arise and take the young child and his mother and flee to Egypt. It's always his mother. It never says, take your child, Joseph. It's never a reference to that. Joseph is, maybe some of you can relate to this, Joseph is technically a stepfather. Verse 22, now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord by the prophet saying, this is Isaiah 7:14. Isaiah 7:14. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which is interpreted God with us. Let me take for a moment here. Hopefully I can do this correctly. And if not, please feel free to talk to me. You do not need to believe in the virgin birth to be saved. You don't. Romans 10, 9 through 10 is very clear. You need to believe that Jesus died on the cross, rose from the grave, and was the payment of your sin, and with the mouth, confession is man. That is what you do to be saved. May I suggest to you as an example? When I was six years old and accepted Christ as my personal Savior, I did not believe in the virgin birth. I didn't even know what that meant. But when somebody showed it to me in the Bible, I believed it. You see... There are things I don't really care if you agree with me or don't agree with me about. Example, the Three Stooges are funny. That's right. I don't think they're funny. Well, you know what? Then you're, well, we'll leave that alone. But the Three Stooges are funny. Feel free to reject that, to take that. Feel free to repent later on. But the Three Stooges are funny. There are things that you can disagree with me about, and that's fine. But listen, if you're here and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you truly are saved, and you reject the virgin birth, what you are actually rejecting is Jesus' deity. And I would like to know how you can be saved if Jesus is not God. Listen, if Jesus isn't God, he's a liar. If Jesus isn't God, that means his death means nothing. If Jesus isn't God, we are all damned to hell. And so you may not understand the workings of the virgin birth, and I fully don't understand all the possibilities. I don't understand how God works. I don't understand this. Listen, this whole week I've been having asthma problems really bad. And, I've been, uh, uh, and I, I got my wind back, but I don't have my strength back. But 
So I can talk a long time, Billy. I'm good to go. <clears throat> I don't understand, but the doctor gave me a bunch of these pills, you know, these steroids and stuff. And they, she was real quick to tell me, you're not going to look like Arnold. I'm like, what is that supposed to mean? But it like stirs me. But I took those pills. You know what? I'm feeling better. I have no idea how prednisone works, but I'm glad it's there. I have no idea how God did the virgin birth, but I'm glad he did. I have no idea how when I was a boy, the moment before I accepted Christ as my personal Savior, I was doomed. I was damned to an eternity and separated from God for all eternity to pay for my own sins in hell. But when I got down on my knees and begged Jesus to save me and come into my heart, I instantaneously was changed and put into the family of God. I was clean. I was forgiven. God didn't see my sin. He saw Jesus. I don't understand that, but I'm glad it worked. You may not understand the virgin birth, but if you're saved, sir, how do you not believe it? Adrian Rogers has a phrase he always says. See, the reason, the reason you don't believe this book is because you're reading someone else's mail. You're not a believer, so it's not for you. How does a righteous man react to the virgin birth? This is how Joseph. Joseph did not believe at first, remember? He's going to divorce Mary. If he fully believed Mary, he would have been like, yay, this is a party. He's like, oh, I don't know about this, right? How does a virgin, how does a righteous man react, a believer react to the virgin birth? Verse 24. And Joseph, being raised from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord. And then he got a group of people together to study what the word virgin really means. It doesn't say that. And then he sort of thought it's a possibility, could put no. Joseph heard what God said and said, this is it. Just like out of Isaiah 14, Joseph probably went, oh, yeah, she is it. And Joseph believed it and had bidden him and took unto him his wife. Now, they did not do part two and knew her not. That's part two that will take later after Jesus's birth until she had brought forth her firstborn son and called his name Jesus. Be very careful. Be very kind to people that will tell you Mary was a virgin and is still in a perpetual state of virgin. That verse right there, verse 25, is very clear. Even in the King James Version, the beautiful version of the Bible that I'm using, it's very clear that Joseph and Mary came to know each other physically as man and wife after Jesus was born. Don't use that verse to beat up a Catholic friend or anything or prove them wrong or anything. All you're doing is being a jerk. But at the right time, you might need to show it to somebody. All this is possible, though. All of it. Because Joseph made a decision. I mean, there's some moments in the Bible you really think about what would have happened. What happens if Adam and Eve don't sin? What happens at this moment if Joseph says, you know what? I'm just going to divorce her and put her away. What takes place? How different is the Christmas story? What happens to Jesus at this moment? I'm going off script, off topic. But I'm sure glad Mary didn't go down to the nearest Planned Parenthood place and say, I'm going to quietly take care of this. And I am so proud of some of you because I know some of your stories. You've had issues and struggles and you made the right choices. When a young lady makes the right choice, listen, I'm going to be very bold here. God is pro-life. When a young lady makes the right choice, we need to applaud her and we need to help her. The worst statement that the people who want abortion say about us, because sometimes it's true, is you love the fetus, you hate the baby. We need to love the baby, because fetus is the word for baby, by the way. We need to love that little life. And when that young girl makes the right choice, we need to be ready to maybe adopt that child, 
or we need to be ready to help that single mom. Because I want to tell you something, after a couple of weeks, after a week, couple of weeks ago being a single dad, it's hard. And if you're doing it as a woman, man, you got my respect. Because that was a tough week with those two little monsters, I mean beautiful children. But Joseph gave Mary the moon. The man who gives the moon, I'll give you two things as I close, has a direct connection with God. Verse 19, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man. Joseph standing with God was just, he is clean. Joseph standing with God was clean, not because of his works, because he believed what God would do. Genesis 3.15, at the fall in the garden, God already set this wheels in motion. He already had a plan to send the Messiah to die. Check out Genesis 3.15. It is actually the first and best Christmas verse in the Bible. If you're here today, you need to know Christ as your Savior, not by being a good person, but by confessing your sin before the Lord, by repenting and letting God take care of you and forgive you and Jesus being your Lord and Savior. The greatest gift the moon your family could ever have is to have a dad who knows Jesus. And secondly, then be a follower of his. The man who gives him the moon, number two, has unwavering obedience to God. In verse 24, then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bid him and took unto him his wife. James chapter 1, verse 8 says that a person with mixed allegiances is a dangerous person. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways, he says. This week, we've been doing, in our Wednesday night study, coffee versus cocoa. I'm not a big coffee drinker. My wife likes all that frilly cocoa, chocolate, coffee stuff, and I'm always like, yeah, it's, it's just two bad things put together. Uh, I'm a good American. I like Coke. Coca-Cola, so let me take that out of context. I like Coca-Cola. If you love Jesus, you drink Coke. If you drink Pepsi, you need to repent. But anyways, but... So on a Wednesday night, we have some Keurigs back there and stuff. On Thursday, we have a homeschool group, about 60 elementary kids, 50, I don't know. They run around. It looks like 200 at sometimes. But they eat lunch there in the lobby and stuff. And um, I was like, I'm going to try one of those fancy coffee things. And so I went down there to the Keurig, and I filled it up. Well, I didn't know you're supposed to how to set it in eight-ounce cup. I hit eight-ounce, and it filled it all the way to the rim. And it's like this whole coffee coca mocha thing. I don't know what that means, but a whole mocha. And so it's like real hot. So I thought, well, I can't carry this. So I tried sipping it. Oh, that's too hot. Burned my tongue for like two days. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm just going to walk through. And I'm starting to walk through. I'm okay. I'm concentrating. I'm concentrating. I'm concentrating. Well, they have tables set up there in our lobby where they eat their lunch. And I forgot it was that time. And I'm like, there's a maze of like 50 little kids running around. And I'm like, somebody's going to get burned. And so I'm concentrating, as I, and I'm going through this maze of tables, and I'm navigating. It was Billy never dropped a drop, never dropped a drop. Really proud of myself. As I'm going through this and stuff, one of these little girls, you know, looks at me and goes, you look irritated. She's going to make a wonderful wife. She goes, you look irritated. And I said, no, I'm concentrating so you don't get burned. Do you see the analogy? Sir, ma'am, you concentrate on following Jesus. You concentrate on being faithful and have unwavering faith. Because when you do, don't, someone gets burned.
Pastor Steve, I don't know if I believe in the virgin birth. I don't know if I even believe in Jesus. I'm not even sure about this whole God thing. Okay. I, I wish you'd have a different decision. I'd like to see you in heaven. But can I say this to you? If you walk out a day and you never hear me, never come back again, your life would be better off if you followed the principles of this book. You would, how much heartache do you have and how much heartache do people go through? Everybody followed this. You would not have to lock your doors. Today, I don't raise your hands, but I bet you over 90% of you people locked your doors. We, we were in Clarkston on a Sunday morning. It's cold out. Criminals don't come out when it's cold, but yet you still locked your doors. Why? Because people don't follow this book. Some of you sweet ladies during holiday, Christmas, holiday, oh, bite my tongue, Christmas shopping. When you're shopping and stuff and you're going to leave Great Lakes, right, you're coming out there with bags or something. It's in the middle of the night because the sun goes down around 5 o'clock and everything. Why we change the time, I don't know. But the sun goes down around 5 o'clock. You are afraid, aren't you? You are afraid as you walk through that parking lot alone. I would suggest you not do it. Well, Susan knows karate. She's good. But everyone else other than Susan, I would suggest you don't do it. Because why? You know exactly why. Because nobody is following, because too many people are not following this book and you have to fear for your safety. If you're here today and you don't want to believe the virgin birth, you don't want to receive Jesus, okay, I'll, that's fine. You can walk away. You're a grown man. You're free to do that. But I will suggest to you today, one of the reasons why I know this is true is because the lives and the direction of people who follow it versus the people who don't. Your life will be so much better off. Joseph obeyed. And he gave Mary the moon because he obeyed God. The ending of It's a Wonderful Life gets laughed at by some people. I don't know why. They think it's hokey. They sort of mock it. Being someone who's the youngest of an incredibly large family, uh, I, t I told someone this again. Sorry, Mom. This, I was born in 1970. I'm, the, I'm actually the ninth pregnancy and stuff. And I said, uh, my parents got a TV in 1971, and the kids stopped coming. But anyway, so... <coughs> My mom hates that joke, but she's not here to stop me. So, um, Totally not true. Totally not true. Totally not true. Uh, I don't even know what I'm talking about now. Um, <laughs> you know, I love It's a Wonderful Life because that, I mean, I grew up in Leave it to Beaver. I know maybe you can't relate to that. My dad kissed one girl his entire life. My mom saw him when she was at uh, Highland Park Free Will Baptist Church. A southern girl coming up from Kentucky and stuff, right? She was 12. She saw him come out of the choir and everything. She goes, she said, I'm going to marry that boy. And she did. I grew up and I came home every day. I don't know what a latchkey kid is. I never had, I came home. My mom was there. I mean, my mom was June Cleaver minus the pearls and stuff. And I, I, I don't have that. And so when I see this ending of It's a Wonderful Life, some people go, oh, that's ridiculous. That's unachievable. I Oh, that was my life. That was the world I lived in. And to tell me, oh, that's not achievable for our family. Really? Jesus can conquer the world, but he can't fix your marriage. Isn't that really, though? Come on. Isn't that ending what we all want for our family? Jesus had a great family because he had a dad, a stepdad. A man who made a decision. Driving home up M15 now, I have a new vision, a new world that I'm seeing. During the summer, there's all those trees, right? You can always tell when somebody's really rich and somebody's pretending to be rich. Re pretending to be rich people build huge homes and they want everybody to see it, right? Real rich people build homes behind trees and they don't want anybody to know they're there. And so now driving home on M15, I can see because all the trees are gone. You know what's happened? 
there's all these homes. I thought nothing was there, and these homes are set back there, these homes from the 60s and maybe in the 50s and 70s. Beautiful homes. I'm like, wow, that is amazing houses I drive through. A completely different view. And by the way, I do keep my eye on the road as I'm driving, but I'm noticing all of these things, and I'm seeing, you know what? What used to be hidden by the leaves has now been revealed. Sir, you got something you're hiding in your life. Come on. Eventually it's going to be revealed. Why don't you today repent, get it right with God, and from this day forward, do it right. Do it right. Everybody will be better off because of it. This is what I'd like to do. If you are a father, would you please stand? Please. I'm not going to point anybody out. Would you please stand? Dads. This is what I want to do. We're going to have our invitation, but I want to pray for you. Stand up, Billy. I want to pray for you, sir. Ladies, we're going to pray for you next week, so your turn's coming. I want to pray for you to give your wife the moon. Give the children that you have the moon. They need a dad who knows Jesus, and they need a dad with unwavering faith in Jesus Christ. I want to pray for you. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for these men that are standing. Lord, I know some of these men are much like Joseph. They've taken on children that are not their biological responsibility, but they have loved them just the way like they are theirs. Thank you for those, Lord. Thank you for demonstrating what a Heavenly Father does. Lord, there's men in here who are married. 